0: What's happening, hardscapers? This is episode 16 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk to you about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. This week, we're joined by Jeremy Martin of Will Gates Landscaping and Dust Killer Tools. is here to talk with us about dust control and being OSHA compliant. We cover a seven-step process to being OSHA compliant that you can learn more about over at dustkiller.tools. This is a great episode for everyone to learn more about how you can keep you and your crews healthy while on the job site, while also attracting and retaining your employees by making your job site cleaner and healthier. Show Jeremy some love for joining us on the podcast. Screenshot this episode and tag him on Instagram at DustKillerTools or at Landscaping. Let him know that you listened and some things that you took away from this episode. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. Today, we are joined by Jeremy Martin. He is the owner of Willow Gates Landscaping, as well as Dust Killer Tools, which we're going to be talking about today. Jeremy, thank you for joining us on the show. Glad to be here. Jeremy, let's just get started to get to learn a little bit more about yourself. Can you give our audience a little bit of a rundown about how you got involved in this industry?
1: Sure. How many decades do you want to go back? Uh, I grew up in the green industry. My parents have a small greenhouse, and so I got my driver's license, so I went straight into landscaping. I worked for another company for a few years, and in 2005, my brother and I founded Willow Gates Landscaping. 2006, we started doing some hardscaping, and that's kind of how we got into the hardscape industry.
0: Where does Dust Killer Tools come into play uh, in, in your career, and why did, did it start up?
1: So you go about no 10 years, about 2016, and we started hearing mutterings about the new SILICA standard and how it's going to impact us. And my mantra, if you was, always been, if I'm going to make headlines, it's going to be for my accomplishments. It's not going to be for OSHA violations. So it's not going to be a pester boy for OSHA. I didn't want to miss crippling fines. And so I started looking for solutions for our crew. And there wasn't a lot of information out back then, nor was there a lot of great products out there. So we looked at one company and their solutions. We were looking at around 22000 to set my crew completely. Uh, that's just one crew. So that seemed a little bit extreme to me. We started looking at some other solutions that we could adapt to the saws we had already. And we started bringing in some of them, and we tried them out, and they all failed miserably. So first we blamed the vacuum. We thought we need a bigger vacuum, connected to it. And so we went to a 2,000 CFM vacuum somebody had hooked up to these attachments. We still blew dust everywhere. Then we realized it's really attachments themselves had failures as well and they had some core design flaws that simply would not permit them to work, at least not effectively enough to avoid some other requirements in the OSHA law. So at that point, we were starting from scratch, and we started fabbing up different things, trying different uh, attachments for ourselves, as well as on the vacuum side, building a dust collector for our use. That was like early 2017, and we started doing that. Once we had it perfected, we looked at how much we invested in it and said, so we know, there's really no reason we can't sell this to other people as well because other contractors are in the same boat we are. They have saws they like, they're paid for, but they're not OSHA compliant. Need some kind of solution that can enable them to use their existing saws and still comply with OSHA.
0: Definitely. Now, these are uh, dustcular tools. These are attachments that you can use on your saws. What kind of products can you offer hardscapers that are looking to get an attachment onto their saw? Do, do you have attachments for table saws, hand saws, everything? So we
1: offer support for steel and Husqvarna saws, the handheld saws, the two top brands in the industry. If we see a lot of demand for other brands, we probably consider that. But again, we consider those two brands. The best really, steel and asmrna. And we have two attachments for those saws. One is the dust extractor, which we use for cutting in place, and the other is dust shark. Uh, they attach using the same bracket, but you'll use one at a time. Again, the extractor works great for cutting in place. You could use it for cutting uh, relief joints as well or control joints. The shark we'll use for cutting individual pieces of pavers, wall block, etc. Then for table saws, we do offer. A replacement table that would fit a twenty inch masonry saw. Well if we'd have enough demand for say a fourteen to sixteen inch saw, we would look at that as well. It is kind of brand generic, it is adjustable, it can fit multiple brands.
0: Now let's get to the back to the basics here because we are based in Canada and we don't have the same OSHA, uh, compliance up here, but we are starting to see more dust control, uh, laws coming into place. And the more majority of our audience is from the States. So let's, let's get down to the basics of, you know, what is this? What is silica? What is it going to do to, uh, you, your job site? And what is OSHA and what, why have these, uh, these laws come into place to control dust?
1: Starting from the beginning, what is silica? Silica in itself is not really harmful. It is the most common element in the earth. It's going to be in your dirt. It's going to be in your stone, concrete, sand. Everything we work with on a daily basis contains silica. Where it becomes an issue is when you start cutting or grinding, crushing, etc. Then you can crush into tiny particles that you really can barely see. And those are particles that are called respirable crystalline silica. Now, for the purpose of our conversation, we're we're going to call it silica. But respirable crystalline silica is what we're really talking about. That's what you get stuck in your lungs. There is no way to get it out. There is no cure. If you breathe enough of it, it will cause a condition called silicosis. And silicosis basically means that your lungs can't function correctly. Uh, It forms scar tissue around those tiny particles of crystalline silica. And as long as that crystalline silica is in there, it's still cutting away. So it's not like you say, Jeremy, you scared me. I'm going to stop cutting today. You still have it in your body. It's still been doing damage for the rest of your life. That's really why OSHA started making more stringent laws is because there is no cure for it. And they had not updated the standards for quite a few years.
0: Now, when when did these laws come into effect, if if that matters to the story? And, you know, how do these laws affect us as contractors? What do we need to do uh, to set in place on the job site to be compliant with these new laws?
1: They went into effect for contractors in residential market in two, June 2017. So we're out about two and a half years, so if, Somebody's listening, they've done nothing. Just be aware the deadline is two and a half years ago. So at this point, OSHA probably is not going to be really that lenient because they think you've had enough time to come to the plan. What happens if you don't comply? Uh, the fines are crippling. I'll say that. That's they're painful. Okay. I'm in eastern Pennsylvania, a few hours from me near Pittsburgh. A few guys were hit in 2018. The fines range from 25000 up to 200000 The record fine 304000 That's a fairly large commercial contractor in Virginia. So that alone should give you some motivation to say, we got a problem. We need to deal with this because the fines are crippling. 25000 that makes any dust collection system in the market look pretty cheap, mine or anybody else's. 200000 yeah you know, if you're a small business owner, you're probably selling equipment and selling out. You probably can't survive that
0: yeah that's uh that's definitely a, a crippling uh fine to have to stomach and obviously, this comes into play, you know what what do we need to put into place uh, to control silica on our job sites and and like you said, it makes you know any dust collection system uh, seem such a small price to pay uh, to be able to do that so you have a, a free silica control training program that that you go through on your website. Can we go through some of these steps in order to be, to be OSHA compliant uh, as contractors in the future?
1: So if you go to dustkiller.tools right at the top of the page, you'll find a link for that free training. And again, like I said, seven-step action plan. Step one is looking at table one versus table two. So OSHA has two methods that you can gear your Compliance, tool. Table one, they're giving you pre-approved control methods for a set amount of time and saying this is safe. And they've done all the testing that they feel comfortable saying that. Table two says we don't care so much about what you're doing, but you've got to have objective data saying it's safe. So table one is very strict limitations. There's really no wiggle room. You have to follow their exact protocol to control the dust or doesn't apply. Table 2, again, is more flexible, but requires more testing, which is typically done by the manufacturer, but can be done by yourself if you're developing your own solutions. You may also need to wear a respirator. A table 1 is very clear on that. Table 1 and Table 2 is, is step 1. We discussed that. Step 2 is engineering controls. So engineering controls are your primary hazard control and they recognize only vacuum and water. So the two solutions you're allowed to use for an engineering control again are vacuum and water. Those are only two options. And we go through some pros and cons of each. You know, using water is very low cost because most of your saws already have that built in. But you can only operate a handheld saw with water for four hour shift until you need to start wearing a respirator. So cutting wet does not completely get you out of needing to wear a respirator. If you're using a vacuum, uh, so again, in Table 1, they recognize vacuum for handheld grinders up to, you know, your 4 to 7 inch typical grinder. They do not recognize vacuum as a Table 1 control method for a table saw or a handheld saw. They recognize only water for that. So again, looking at which one do you want to do, you know, if we are very much a proponent of vacuum because, We hate the slurry of cutting wet, but then that puts it on the table, too. So we have to do the testing to prove that our vacuum system is sufficient to control the dust.
0: Now, continuing from what you just said there, is that uh, that company specific that they have to prove that – you know, they are controlling the dust? Or is this something that they can buy a dust killer tool and because dust killer tool has already done that inspection, uh, then they can take that and say that they are OSHA compliant uh, considering the dust killer tool uh, test itself?
1: You can use our test data. Now, if you do something completely different, you know, what our test would say, how they're conducted, what kind of test we're doing. If you're doing something completely different, So for an extreme example, let's say you're going and cutting, say, ceramic tile countertops, which we're really not set to do, with, say, the shark. That's a touch that's not at all intended for that kind of cutting. Then you should probably do your own testing because using a completely different material, cutting a completely different way than was intended. But OSHA is pretty flexible in that they're saying you can use other people's test data as long as. As it can be reasonably expected, whatever you're doing will have similar results. So in other words, we use tackle Block materials to do our testing. And let's say a contractor is really a really big fan of e. EP Henry, Unilock, or any other brand, BellGuard. They do not need to go and test it again on that material. We can reasonably assume that TackleBlock, Unilock, EP Henry, anybody else will probably have similar levels of silica in their product. So, again, let's doing something completely different than what we were doing testing for, you can use our test data.
0: Understood. Now, you talked a little bit about having to use a respirator, uh, especially when cutting wet for more than four hours. And then, in general, it's just a good idea. Do you have any any respirators that you would recommend uh, somebody using on a job site? There's several basic options.
1: One is a 95 which is a paper f- filter but it's not just your typical dust mask it is considered a respirator it has the valve in two straps etc there's the n99 which would have a rubber face piece and replaceable cartridges and then you have your full face mask and then you have your hood respirators and some other variations of that going back a little bit to step three in our seven step action plan that is exposure testing so we discuss it a little bit in our training program you know, how is it done? When is it required? So, we already kind of discussed that we don't, if you purchase our system, you don't need to test it yourself. Now, if you decide to build your own system, then you do need to test it. And the OSHA set the levels, what you're allowed to be exposed to. And you're typically wearing an air sampling pump for a certain period of time. And there's two levels to think about one is your action level which is 25 micrograms per cubic meter of air. That's where they require you to start testing and monitoring it. 50 is a maximum. Now, this is what we call a time-weighted average, or TWA, And it gets a little complicated, probably too deep to really get into in this conversation, but again, 50 is a maximum we're allowed to have. So moving to step four, personal protective equipment, or PPE, you know, talking about respirators, what type of respirator is required so in table one again just sets it pretty clearly they say what your shift is and when you start wearing it i uh, take for example using a handheld grinder they would say that mortar is a worst material to be grinding and that they're going to require you to have a half mask respirator for an eight hour shift so if you've done the testing or if you're going off of table one uh, requirements and you're looking at the ppe or uh, respirators. Your common types, again, are N95, and 99 either paper or your rubber face piece. Both of those are half masks. Uh, they're going to have what we call an APF, assigned protection factor, of 10. That means, so I already told you that the maximum we're allowed to be exposed to over eight-hour time-weighted average is 50 micrograms per cubic meter of air. So let's say we're at 450. A respirator with a sign protection factor of 10, cut that down to 45. So that means we're below that 50 maximum. Now let's say we have 600, our is 600. Now that half mass is longer sufficient, because that would only cut down, again, a factor of 10, brings it down to 60, and the maximum allowed is 50. So that's going to force us to go up to a full-face respirator.
0: You drew that really clearly, and I can definitely see, you know, this gets really complicated. And... You know, once you understand it, it it makes sense. But there's obviously some paperwork that's going to need to be done by you as the business owner to make sure that your employees are also following these rules and they know, you know, what they need to be doing at any given time in the cut process. And I also noticed in step five, you're getting into a, a written control plan. So what is this and what do you need to do about this as a business owner?
1: So OSHA requires a written control plan for any company, whose activities will expose the rec- workers to respirable crystalline silica, which is anybody in masonry, anybody in hardscape, definitely falls within that. So what might needs to be included in that plan? Uh, you're gonna need to address every task that will expose them to respirable crystalline silica. So cutting, we're using table saw or handheld saw, grinding, drilling, all the different steps of a typical hardscape installation, you need to address in that plan. And you'll need to assign a competent person, which actually drops into step six. But this plan is basically telling each of your workers what they need to do to work safely and cover all different types of work you're doing that could expose them to it. The penalties for that, I believe I have seen somewhere. I'm not sure the exact dollar amount is on that. I sometimes get asked the question, well, how how will OSHA ever catch me? Are they actually enforcing this? And the answer is OSHA is enforcing it. But in some areas, they're not very active at all. And there's basically three ways they could catch you. One is they're driving down the road, and they see a massive cloud of dust. And everybody in our industry knows what that cloud of dust looks like, and they do too. So that's a one way. That's kind of needle in a haystack. It's a little hard for them to actually catch you on the job site, typical residential setting. The second way is the neighbor, the homeowner, or a fellow contractor turns you in. You know, if one contractor has spent, thousands of dollars, investing in equipment, training his employees, he drives on the road and sees you letting the dust fly, it's probably going to bug him a little bit, and he might turn you in. The third way that we're seeing this being enforced, and this came from a contractor in New Jersey, there, OSHA is not necessarily trying to catch you on a job site. It's a whole lot simpler. Watch your phone. Google heartscaper near me. Up pops all Google listings, and you tap that, take his directions to their office. You walk into the office and say, I want to see your written control plan. Now, if you can't produce a written control plan, they got a great starting point. And I believe they were requiring them to send their employees for medical exams, I think every month for the first six months until they caught up. It's a place you don't want to go. So, written control plan needs to be in your office and it needs to be on the job site, whether it's in your job trailer, in the truck, wherever. If an inspector walks into your office or into a job site, you've got to know where it's at and be able to produce that.
0: Got it. Now, does that medical surveillance that you just mentioned there, does that fall uh, fall into the step seven, which you have there?
1: It does. Let me
0: grab step six and I'll be running
1: to step seven. Step six is a competent person, and that's basically a person who's been assigned to monitor the activities and make sure they're following the steps laid out in your written control plan. So they need to be authorized to say, guys, we got to stop working. It's not, you know, our dust collector broke or we were using water and it froze up. If whatever method you're using, control the dust fails, they've got to be able to recognize that and have the authority to shut it down until it gets fixed. They do not need specific training per OSHA. They do not need specific training to be, quote unquote, a competent person. But they do need to understand the risk." understand what they're doing to control the risk, and recognize the signs of your control method failing. They do not need to be on the job site 100% of the time. I would suggest that the foreman is probably the best person to assign as being the competent person, but also have a follow-up person. You know, if he's gone, I would have someone else who's supposed to be taking his place. Moving on to step seven of medical surveillance, there's a few scenarios where you need to do this. Basically, any time you're required to wear a respirator 30 or more times per year, you'd need to conduct medical surveillance. So if you're looking at either Table 1 control methods or Table 2, any time a single employee has to wear a respirator 30 more times per year, he's going to be required to do medical surveillance. So it has to be offered 30 days before he starts, any activities that will subject him to levels requiring that, have you offered every three years after that? The employer is responsible for the cost and you need to retain the records for 30 years after the employee leaves you. So the documentation is pretty stringent. And you would need to, it's all done by a NIOSH certified physician, involves a chest x-ray, uh, lung function analysis, and a few other things as well.
0: Yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible. And it, it's obviously that, it's obvious that you're really knowledgeable in this field, Jeremy. And, and obviously as a, as a business, business owner yourself, you've also had to go through and implement this on your, in your own business and you've created some amazing products. To help contractors in implementing this dust collection, dust control, as well as the, the free silica training program that you have. And, uh, and you've got the, the free silica control plan template, uh, available on your website. So we definitely urge all of our, all of our listeners to go check that out, whether you're in Canada or the U.S. and you need to be implementing this. Uh, it's, it's extremely important. And obviously, you know, the fines speak for themselves. So, Jeremy, where should our audience go to learn more about the seven step process that you've explained here, uh, to learn more about it and to get uh, a more in depth uh, rundown about everything that they need to do?
1: So, if you go to dustkiller.tools, right in the top banner, you'll see a free select control training and a free control plan template. Just right beside the red button says learn more. Click that, and I'll take you to form to fill out. We do also offer a classroom version of this, where we combine classroom training with hands-on training. That's a two-hour course we offer through Hardscape Dealers, which gives you a little bit more in-depth training than what the online version is. And, Mike, we kind of talked about the pain points, the have-to part. You know, the OSHA forcing us to do this and that the crippling fines there. So it should be pretty good motivation. But I kind of consider them negative examples of why we should do this. Let me give you a couple. Of, I consider positive reasons to do this. One, your employees will be a lot happier. You know, we face a labor crisis in our industry. We've got to make our work look attractive to young guys entering or women entering the workforce. You just get a young person stepping out of high school, doesn't want to go through college. First day in the job you have a saw, and he's spending all day cutting in a cloud of dust. That really going to look that attractive to them? I think not. So that's one thing that you know, my friend crew, Gates, had some guys talk to me and say, you know, Jeremy, if we wouldn't have dust control, we'd probably quit. We just couldn't handle that dust. So that I think you're going to have happier, healthier employees. I know you will. The second thing that I think you need to look at as a positive reason to do this is your homeowner will be happier as well. And we did this for 10 years, over 10 years with no dust control. And you would not believe how much weight that dust has that you're collecting. Our one job, so we estimate about six hundred pounds. That's a lot. So you think about how much that dust is blowing, you know, across the lawn, trees, house, a car, just plastering a whole home. If they see you controlling that dust that you should be using in your marketing, I think that's a, a great way to set yourself apart from the competition, especially since you mentioned you're in Canada, you're not forced to do it yet. This is a great way to separate yourself from the competition saying we might be a bit more expensive, but we're going to be protecting your home and you.
0: Absolutely, and it's it's always good to go through, you know, the positive side of things, especially like you talked about uh, retaining your employees who are so valuable in this market where where we have this labor sho- shortage, and you know what, just making it appealing for your customer, like you said, and in Canada, a lot of a lot of municipalities are enforcing dust control. Some aren't, and and they're moving towards that, but it's coming. And, and Jeremy, you have been uh, a wealth of knowledge on this subject. We really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about everything Dust Control and to talk, talk a little bit about Dust Killer Tools. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. And, Jeremy, is there anything else you want to uh, talk about that we may have missed? And also, where can our audience find out more about you, find out more about Dust Killer Tools and uh, Willow Gates Landscaping? Well, you can go to our
1: website, uh, WillGatesLandscaping.com, is our website for Will Gates, obviously. And dustkiller.tools will be a website for our dust control system. And we're on social media if you are on Instagram, as Willow Gates Landscaping, as well as Dust Killer Tools. We're on YouTube and Facebook as well. So you can follow, follow us on social media, go to our websites. If you want to meet us, we do some shows. We go to HNA, a few others we do as well. And we also, if you want to see a system in operation we can arrange demonstrations as well
0: thank you for listening to today's podcast episode visit us at howtoheartscape.com for more information on the subject you can type in the search bar a subject that you want to learn more about and hopefully we have an article up there for you or it's coming soon or you can just send us a message and let us know what future episodes you want to hear about on the podcast. We are at How to Hardscape on Instagram and anywhere you can find us. We would love it if you would subscribe to our podcast and left us a rating and review. This really helps us get this podcast out there. It allows us to attract more guests onto the show to bring you more valuable information week in and week out. To those of you who have already done so, thank you so much. And thank you for just listening to today's episode. We look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast.